0: Amen. Please be seated. What a joy it is to sing God's praises on a cloudy, rainy day, to think about the glory of God and the goodness of God and his many blessings, including rain. Uh, But most importantly, his son, uh, that he has secured for himself a people uh, that he has adopted, as we will think about today, uh, into his family. And speaking of families. Uh, we have our families, uh, at least in, ter- in terms of the kids, they'll stay with us this morning, and I'll have to stare at Abby's shirt this morning for a while, and uh, much to my dismay, uh, but uh, we're so thankful for children, the Bible teaches us that children are a blessing, and so we believe that and love our children. And so we're glad that they are with us. And as we think about family today, we'll have a lot of time to think about that. Uh, and again, let me just underscore briefly, if you didn't hear the announcement already, uh, the men's retreat is coming up in two weeks. John Erickson, who was with us last year, pastor up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, will be here to talk to us about sex, uh, money, and power. And uh, we're also going to be doing a lot of basketball playing and uh, whatever else people do on men's retreats. So uh, men, I hope you'll do that. You can sign up on the app. Uh, talk to me, we can figure out a way to get you signed up. We'd love for you to be there. Let Let me go ahead and pray for us in advance of the preaching of God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us in creation, that You are evident in that You are great and You are powerful. And God, thank You also that You have revealed Yourself to us in the Word. And so, God, we pray that you would quiet our hearts and minds now, that we might have souls that were oriented towards the truth. God, I pray that you would bless me, keep me from error, and may I preach in love, that people might know it and enjoy it forever. ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Socrates famously said that the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. And so three questions for you to kind of help you examine your own life. Uh, First question is, where are you going? What's your destiny? And secondly, who's going with you? Who's your family in that destiny? And thirdly, why? Why is that your destiny? Why are those people going with you? What's the great end? What's the great old goal? Those three questions are good to think about, friends, as we think about the formation of our identities, critical aspects to the most important realities of who we are, thinking about those questions, what's our destiny, who's going with us and why, those things, answering those questions are critical to forming, helping understand and form our identities. Uh, And we're going to be answering those three questions today as we continue our series through the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, We entitled this series, Our Identity in Christ. We've said that the whole point of this letter can be found in chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, the whole summing up of the whole letter. If you were to understand 110, you would kind of get the message of it all. And in 110 it says that in Christ, God is pulling together, He's summing all things up together in Christ. All things in heaven and earth. He's uniting heaven and earth together in Christ uh, together. That's what that's the whole theme of this letter. We see that he's going to unite heaven and earth by Christ. Through, chapter 2, verse 10, through a people created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's 2.10. And then 3.10, we see who are those people created in Christ that are bringing heaven together, earth together. 3.10, it is the church. The church. That's chapter 3, verse 10. And who is the church? Well, chapter 4, verse 4. Sorry, couldn't make it 4.10. Didn't quite work, though I tried. 4, verse 4 is the one body of Christ. So God's uniting all things together in Christ through a people. That people's the church. And that church is the one body of Christ. And then we get to the end of chapter 6 verse 10. And we find that there is an enemy that's trying to push back on those purposes. And so therefore we must clothe ourselves in the strength of God's might, putting on the armor of God day after day. That's 610. And so, uh, we have to be mindful of the fact that the evil one hates the gospel. He hates the church. Uh, he desires to bring disunity to the church because he knows that's the forefront of God's plans to reunite heaven and earth together in Christ. And so we have to then push against that as we hope in Jesus and give ourselves to his word. Uh, and so today we pick up where we left off last week. Uh, we'll be looking at the last couple words of chapter of chapter one, verse four, and we'll go to verse six. Uh, by the way, if you haven't received one of those cards that has the schedule, I would encourage you to grab one of those so you can be prepared every Sunday for what we'll be preaching. Uh, but as I read these verses, I'm about to read these verses, I want you to pay attention to the words uh, four, through, and two, four, through, and two. See what comes after them. That's our outline for this morning. Uh, now we're going to be spending the bulk of our time in that first one, and we'll give ourselves briefly to the end. Uh, those last couple points. So uh, we're going to see that in love we are predestined for adoption through Christ to the praise of the Father's glorious grace. Here it is. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. First point we see this morning, in love, predestined for adoption. In love, predestined for adoption. Let me give us just a brief review as to where we've been the last couple weeks. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter. You can see that there in verse 1. Um, he is an apostle by the grace of God. Uh, you see, we, we believe him to be writing from Rome round about the year uh, 62 A.D. Paul is imprisoned. We understand him to be imprisoned for having preached the same gospel that he's writing about. And he's writing to the church, as you can see there in uh, verse uh, one, to the saints who are in Ephesus. All right, this is a church that he helped plant. You can read about that in Acts chapter nineteen. And uh, this city, Ephesus, was one of the great cities of the ancient world. It had about two hundred and fifty thousand people in it, which may not sound like a lot, but in the ancient world, that was a lot of folks. He's writing to a church that's in that city. And inside that great metropolis of Ephesus, there sits a church, as I mentioned, that he planted. And it's this great forefront of God's plans to restore the world in Christ. That church, right there in the middle of that great city. And it consisted, we've seen, we can go back and walk through this and see that it might have consisted of maybe 30, 40, 50 people at the most. It probably was more in the range of 15 to 20, 25, 30 uh, but this is God's plan, this local church. Paul is writing to this church, and he begins the letter in verses 1, 2, and 3 with God. Now, don't lose sight of that. Right? In a society that doesn't really talk much or think much about God, we find Paul's worldview is entirely the opposite. His worldview understands God is at the center of all things, and God is working things out. You can see him referencing that there in verse 1. He's an apostle by the will of God. Verse two, you can see him saying uh, grace to you and peace from God, our father. And then verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this God we saw last week in verse four, this God has chosen them, the church, those that believe on Christ. We saw that he chose them before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before him. So in his grace, God chose us in christ brought us near made us pure set us apart and that then leads us to our passage for today and so this joy ride through this amazing letter uh, is going to continue so make sure and keep your hands and feet in the vehicle at all times as we walk through this joy ride it's amazing this these verses so What I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of give a commentary, a kind of running commentary from verse 4, the end of verse 4, down to verse 6. It's going to be a lot just to prepare you. That's why I said keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times because we're going to be moving. And then I'm going to come back in at the end and I'll kind of pull it all together after that. So take a look at those next two words in verse 4. Do you see it? Right at the end of verse 4, what are they? In, what is it? You tell me. Love. In love. So whatever comes next, in verse 5 and 6 and even following. Whatever comes next is legislated by that notion. Love. And that word love there in the, in the original language is that great and uniquely Christian word agape. In agape. In unconditional love. A love that is not merited in any way. love that is not earned in any way. God chose us that believe in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose us before the world and he did it in agape, in unconditional love. And he then agaped or loved us by predestining us for adoption as sons. That notion, the reason why he's putting sons there is he's referencing a family in the ancient world would have understood that all the inheritance comes to the oldest son. So he's saying that's what we have in Christ. His unconditional love led him to choose the destiny of the Christian beforehand. In love the Father first chose us. And by the way he chose us, you should know this by name, not just corporately. He chose Wendy, he chose Claire, he chose Josh, he chose Elizabeth, he chose Andy. He chose you. You can go back and read that Revelation 13:8. You'll see that crystal clear. He's choosing individuals by name to collect them together. And he's choosing them and predestining them as that word connotes before the foundation of the world, before we're alive. Now, I realize that predestination flags a few questions for you, but don't forget, as Joey so helpfully helped us understand last week, what Paul is doing in this verse is he is applying every spiritual blessing. So, in other words, he is not, as Joey said, it's not he's not entering into a theological debate, but instead he's doing a doxological explosion. That's what's happening here. And so before you're bothered at predestination, be amazed at the love of God about predestination. I'm going to talk about predestination in a moment, but for now, let's kind of work through the rest of this verse. After adoption as sons, there's a word that is not in some of your translations. Uh, It should be. It is in the Greek. Uh, But it it should read, in love, predestined for adoption as sons, and it should then read, to himself. To himself, emphasizing where the adoption is meant to go. That is to say, before him, near him, to himself. And then don't miss what comes next there, because it informs how God felt about his decision to choose us, predestine us, and bring us to himself. It says, it goes on there to say, invert that through Christ. We'll take a look at that in a moment. And this all happens, this adopting, this predestining, this happened according to the purpose of his will. Now, in the original language, that word for will there means goodwill or maybe even better. A better translation would be pleasure. Pleasure. And then don't. Uh, don't miss, don't miss what comes after this, but we see that God chose us before the foundation of the world, therefore in agape, in unconditional love, He then predestined us for adoption according to the good pleasure of His will. Slide down to verse 6, with which He has blessed us in the beloved, that is in Christ. That word for blessed in verse 6, that word for blessed there can be translated freely given or graced, with which he has freely graced us, freely given us in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. All right, that was a lot, right? That was a bunch. So here's what I've done. I've, I, you should see behind me, this, trans, this is Nathan's translation. This is me trying, this is a faithful representation of the verse. And here's what it says. This is my translation trying to get behind in that original language to let the light pop behind so that you would see it and feel it and know it and treasure it so this verse what it just said was in unconditional love god destined us beforehand for adoption as sons to himself through jesus christ according to the purpose of his pleasure or his good pleasure with which he has freely given or graced us in the beloved now, we could write more books than exist in the Library of Congress about that one sentence. I mean, that's amazing, all that's in there. Uh, and you should know, by the way, it's good to know, in the original language, in the Greek, from verse 3 to verse 14, that's one sentence in the original language. One. 257 of the gr- words of the greatest run-on sentence in the history of the universe. Joey always likes to tell me, Nathan, you write with run-on sentences. Well, I said, well, Paul was inspired by the Spirit, and it's okay with him. It must be okay for me, too. It's just an amazing verse, just amazing passage. Imagine if we had, uh, we really need 10, 20, 30 hours to meditate on this, but we might have 45 minutes, all right, to work through this. So before, though, I help us grasp the totality of our adoption, let me address this notion of predestination. Now, for most of us who have been raised in the Western world, this notion of predestination bothers a lot of us. Because in the West, we prize our individual freedom. We prize our personal autonomy. In America's founding documents, it says that we have an individual right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so this notion of predestining seems to fly right in the face of our so-called free will to exercise it how we please. And I understand that sort of discomfort. Uh, as a Christian, I used to have the same kind of ideas myself, same bothering about those kinds of years myself. Uh, I can remember thinking as a Christian, I wish this word wasn't in the Bible. But it is. And this word's in the Bible more than just the time we're reading here. So let me try and help you see why you should love predestination and see your need for it. Slide over to chapter 2, verse 1. Take a look over there. Now remember, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible is not written in chapters and verses. That comes along later. So this is coming right after he's writing. Uh, the passage that we're reading comes right after that. Look over there. You'll see in those verses Paul describes who Christians used to be. Who Christians used to be. So, or if you're not a Christian, this describes you, friend. This describes all of us that are, that are not trusting in Christ. And who we used to be, those of us that are trusting in Christ, this is who we used to be. And so if you're going to understand why Paul is rejoicing in God's loving predestination, you have to get what he says here. I mean, get it. In verse 1 to 3, Paul says, of chapter 2, Paul says that all those that are apart from Christ, they are first dead in their sins. Two, they're following the course of this world. That is, whatever, you know, they sort of do this, whatever the sort of society is saying, that's what they're doing. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, he's saying, we all just followed Satan. We once lived in the passion not of God, but in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, which is to say we just did whatever we wanted to do, whatever we felt like doing, that's what we did. Wherever we thought about doing, that's what we did. And then don't miss this in verse 3 of chapter 2. And we're by nature children of wrath. By nature children of wrath. Now think about this. If we were to go down to, to the streets in D.C., we're going to walk around DuPont Circle, uh, go up here to Tenley Circle, we'll just walk around. We polled a thousand people. And we were to ask them, who is mankind when you're born by nature? Are we born basically good or basically bad? I feel quite confident. I've done this, by the way. I've got stacks of surveys where we did this. So I feel pretty confident that most people would say, no, no, we're born basically good. We're born basically good. And so God's word, though, teaches us in this passage that's actually not true. It's quite the opposite. Slide over to verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. There we see apart from Christ, we're separated from Him. We're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. that's God's people. We're strangers to the covenants of promise. doesn't say we have some hope. He says we have no hope. doesn't say we have a little bit of God. He says without God in the world. So in other words, friends, we... I think it's important to really recognize and admit we don't tend to think of ourselves in this way, apart from Christ. Most people think that maybe they're not as good as they could be, but they're not this. They're not this bad. Some people, maybe it's true, some people, some of you think too harshly about yourselves. But most of us don't think we're as bad as what Paul is saying we are here apart from Christ. We like to think that we might be sick, but we're not dead. You know, we like to think, you know, we're following some bad things, but we're not following sin, Satan, and society. We like to think that, yeah, we're disobedient children from time to time, but we're not children of wrath. And yet, friends, it's because we think of ourselves in this way that God choosing us before the foundation of the world, his predestining us for adoption, it's because of that that it kind of rubs us the wrong way. Folks, what we learn in these passages of 2, 1 to 3, down 12 and verse 13, what we learn from this is apart from Christ, your wills are not free. They're not free. They're bound. They're enslaved. Slave to the wrong. Enslaved to all the wrong things. No, we're not as bad as we could be, but we're enslaved to all the wrong things. That's the clear, unhindered teaching of the word. So we are not born basically desiring the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. We're not kind of a 50-50 split. We find in this passage that we're 100% dead. We are born basically designed to keep God at a distance and bring about the good of whatever it is we want to do. Anyone that has raised children knows this, right? Uh, I love my children. They're sitting over here. Um, But listen, I I love my kids. My kids are good kids. But I never taught them to lie, cheat, steal, and hurt others. And they just do it. right? Y'all are good. I love you, Judah. I love you, Lasha. Yeah. Yeah. But they just do that. I never taught them that. How does that happen? Well, we think we kind of grow out of that the older we get. But the reality is, friends, we don't. If anything, we push deeper into it. We push deeper into it. We just have learned to be more civilized about it. We are born dead spiritually. Our spiritual nature is dead. Which is why Jesus says we have to be, what? Born again. Right? And this is what the Spirit does. This is what the Spirit does. You can read more. Go and look and study this week, John one twelve, to think more deeply about that this week. But the reason why God choosing us and God lovingly predestinating any Christians for adoption, the reason why that is so sweet to Paul that's writing this is because he knew he was all of these things that he was writing about. He was aware of this, that he was writing about this. He remembers experientially. He remembers killing Christians. He remembers hating the gospel. He remembers hating the God of the gospel. He remembers hating the church. That's why God chose him. And not somebody else. God wanted to, us to see that who Paul was, apart from Christ, is who we all are by nature. God meant to use him as a kind of billboard, as a kind of advertisement for humanity. Paul even says this in 1 Timothy 1.16, writing to his uh, disciple Timothy, by the way, to stay in Ephesus. So another letter to Ephesus. I receive mercy, Paul says, for this reason. So why did God save him? That in me, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are believed, to us that believe for eternal life. Paul was chosen as an apostle so as to show the world what we are all like without the grace of God. This, friends, is why predestination is so sweet and so good. It reminds us of God's life-giving, love-infused grace that is able to awaken us from our sin-induced sleep, something we could not do on our own. See, God knows us before we knew ourselves. And He knows us even more than we know ourselves now. And yet He chose to love us that believe, even though we have given Him every reason not to. Had God chosen and predestined two, two hundred, or two thousand, we would have been amazed at God and His love and His grace and His kindness, knowing that we're enemies. And yet while we are still a minority, he's chosen millions, millions to live out his glorious grace. Predestination, friends, is a treasured doctrine because it reminds us of the grace and the love of God, which is why, which is why Paul is applying it as a spiritual blessing and not loathing it as a freedom that is taken away. Now, maybe some of you are asking the question, well, Nathan, how is it I know that I'm predestined? It's a good question. I would say, first, that's the ministry that he's given to the church. He gave the ministry to a local church to bind and loose. But secondly, I would ask you personally, do you treasure Christ? And do you choose Him every day? Because if you do, your choice to treasure Jesus reveals His gracious and loving choice To have chosen you from eternity to eternity. Your choice may have come when you were 10. Or your choice may have come just right now. But if you choose to treasure Jesus and hope in him. Then you can be confident that God chose and predestined you for adoption. Into his family before the foundation of the world. In what do we say? Love. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about this adoption into the family of God. Author J.I. Packer says you can sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. He goes on, he says, so if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as father. I I think Packer is exactly right. Here's why. Because in the New Testament, or in the New Covenant, something is emphasized that is not emphasized in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant. See, because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ for sin, God not only forgives us, but He reconciles us to Himself as sons and daughters. In other words, God not only justifies us, not only has He justified us, but in love, He has already adopted us into His family. And that's what He wanted to do that's why he wanted to bring us in so think about this when you think back to the Old Testament those of us that are familiar with the teaching of the Old Testament that's not the emphasis of the Old Testament let me give you a couple examples remember Moses when he goes up on Mount Sinai to get the law remember that? I was reading it this morning he basically says bring Aaron up and you know, tell those priests to get their ritual cleansing on but don't even so much as let them touch the mountain and if you remember in that passage the people are like yeah that's good with me we don't even want to go up there Moses you go up there for us right? Like, stay away I oh, remember the uh, another example would be the the high priest. Remember the high priest in the old covenant. Remember, uh, actually, Jews just this past week celebrated Yom Kippur. That's the Day of Atonement. That happened one time a year, when one guy, the high priest of that year, whoever that was, one time a year, he had to do, go go through a bunch of ritual cleansing, and he were to walk into the holy of holies, which was where the presence of God was. That could only happen one time a year if they did everything right. And by the way, if they just did the smallest thing wrong, they had tied on his uh, robes a a, a rope. So when he'd fall dead, they could drag him out. True, like just go read Leviticus. That's in the Bible. The Bible is amazing, guys. If, If you think it's boring, you're not reading it close enough. It's amazing. So guys, just think about that. That's the emphasis of the Old Testament. But now, now since Christ has atoned for sin, raised for our justification... Now we, not only are cleansed from sin, God has brought us near. This is even amazing. More amazing. Isn't isn't that what we just read about last week in verse 4? That we would be holy and blameless where? Before Him. Like right in front of Him. Look at verse 5 again. Adopted as sons where? To Himself. Slide down to 2.13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ two twenty two in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And since we're talking about the Spirit, let's talk about that. In Romans eight fifteen, Scripture says that the Spirit is called to as the he's referred to as the Spirit of Adoption. And it says you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we, the church, uh, we cry Abba Father. That word Abba there means like intimate. It's an intimate word like dear dad. Dear dad. Robert Peterson notes that in the Old Testament, God is only referred to as father 15 times. In comparison to the 118 times God is referred to in the Gospel of John alone. Do you see what this is saying? Getting this? God could have only forgiven us and kept us away as servants. And that would have been great. It Would have been kind of him. But that's not what he was after. He wanted something more. He has forgiven us and he has adopted us into his family because he was our devoted father. He also made forgiveness possible. And don't, move, don't lose sight of this, guys. Second half of verse 5 and 6. Why did he do all that? Well, we, we'll get to the why later. But what was the motive in that? He, he doesn't do this because he had to. He didn't look down there and see, I see David Hill's a really good guy. Man, he's going to church all the time, so he read his Bible three times this week, so I'll adopt him. That's not what happened. No, before the foundation of the world, he saw that all of us, Nathan Knight was an enemy. I was all those things that he described there. And he said, I'm going to be his dad. I am his dad. I choose him and I make him mine. And that is my good pleasure. To do that. I'm so happy to bring him or her near. We could talk about this for days. The beauty of this. But let me try and apply this doctrine in three ways. First, since God sent His Son to rescue and redeem us, to lovingly adopt us, Since this is a great aim of God for us, then Restoration Church, you've got to get this clear in your heads and in your hearts. This is your destiny. You've got to get that clear in your head and in your heart. This is your destiny. To sit as an adopted son or daughter at the table of God. The loving table of God. That's your destiny. That's where you're going. You've got to get that clear in your head and heart. Your ultimate destiny, friend, is not to, to, to sort of uh, do whatever you think about maybe now. Your ultimate destiny is to sit at the table of God in heaven. Heaven is our destiny. Having ambition is good. Wanting to excel in your career can be a good thing. Wanting a family, certainly a good thing. But listen, whatever you are dreaming for your life here and now is not your ultimate destiny. Your ultimate destiny is to sit at the table of God in heaven and enjoy your heavenly Father and Christ His Son alongside the other saints of God forever and ever. That's your destiny. That's where you're going in Christ. Heaven is our destiny. And heaven is a fully restored world where we live out our adoption as sons and daughters and the presence of our loving heavenly Father as we enjoy the glory of the Son in a world fully restored that's heaven. And it will be great. Now I realize that we talk about this notion of family. Father, that could come across for some of you really bad ways. You didn't have a good dad. You didn't have a good family. You think about Christmas and you don't like it because you got to go home. But listen, my guess is you want a good one. My guess is you want a good family. My guess is you want a good father. That will love you. A father that will go to great lengths to show you that he loves you. A family that had a father that was honorable and just and patient and forgiving. My guess is you want that kind of a dad. and want that kind of a family. And even those of us that have had an earthly father like this, we know that as good as our dads were and as good as our families are, they still can be a little messy and they're not always very fun and very loving so the point is that if you don't have fond memories of family, and even if you do, we all want a destiny that includes a good family with a loving father. And that's what we have in the gospel and the heaven that that gospel secures. In Christ, through the seal of the spirit, our destiny of enjoying the family of God is secured. That's where we are going. Forever and ever, growing up into our identities as adopted sons and daughters, of god so you got to keep that in the forefront of your mind every day that's why that's why having devotionals first thing in the morning is so important to get that clear and whatever comes at me this day today that's my destiny it's going to orient me through those difficult times and so no matter what your family situation is now in heaven you will enjoy the love of your heavenly father forever and ever and you will enjoy jesus You will enjoy God's people. You have been lovingly predestined to that great end. Second point of application. You're going to be doing that with the saints. That's what we see here, right? You're going to be doing that with the saints. Or in the Word, you're going to be doing that with the church. And so might I encourage you to learn to love and do life with church since it's God's blood-bought family. It's his plan. It's his family. It's where God is bringing heaven and earth together in Christ. Now Paul is going to make a lot of the church in Ephesians and hopefully you're beginning to understand more why he's doing that. The church is God's adopted family. Therefore, if you are in Christ and your destiny is enjoying the love of the Father in heaven, it would only be right to enjoy that spiritual blessing now while on earth. If it's something you want to keep at a distance from you, and that should concern you. So the way that you live out that adoption, enjoy your adoption in Christ, love your heavenly Father, the way you do that is by being a meaningful part of a local church that believes the same gospel. I mean, just think about this, guys. We don't use that language of brother and sister just flippantly. It's not just some word that kind of makes us feel like family. It kind of makes us feel like kind of warm. Guys, using the language of brother and sister, that's a theological reality. Claire is my blood-bought sister. She's my sister. In some ways, more than my brother, who happens to also be a Christian. But you get the idea. <laughs> this is amazing. We are quite literally brothers and sisters. This is the beauty. Paul's going to go on and talk about this in Ephesians. This is why we can go across all uh, nations, tribes, tongues, and languages. Across all barriers. It doesn't make any sense why people from all tribes, tongues, and languages can come and sit together in unity. This is why we need to work for that justice day in and day out. But the church is supposed to be a glimmer of that heavenly family. The place where our destiny of enjoying the family of God comes together. This is who we are going with in our destiny. This is the who. It's the who. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that the church always feels like we have the love of the Father. It doesn't mean that church is always uh, convenient. Uh, but guys, this is what we're striving for. I love how our church covenant says it. It's what we're endeavoring to do, to love each other in Christ and love our community in Christ and be one. That's what we're striving for. It's a theological reality. We want to experience that more. And so like any good family, we pitch in and help where there needs. We help each other grow up into our identities as adopted sons and daughters. We pray for one another. We try to get to know one another. We give and we receive. We help the poor, the orphan, and the widow. We're light to a darkened world. We spread the Gospel. We make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. We welcome welcome all kinds of people. We welcome them. We're going to be spending eternity together as members of the household of God. Therefore, we try and work that out now and not put it off and say we'll do it then. And it gets hard sometimes. But listen, everything that's meaningful and good gets hard. I tell people, you've been through my premarital counseling session. You've heard me say this a gazillion times, right? Marriage is one of the hardest things you'll ever do, but it's great if you work at it. Same thing in the life of the church. I remember when I was a kid, I had to clean my room, had to empty the dishwasher, had to mow the lawn. I'm sure there were other things I had to do. We had, we had great yard cleaning day. We had to clean all that stuff up. I didn't like doing it all the time, but it's what made us a family. One of the important things that made us My brother had to do his part. My, my mom and dad definitely did more than their part. And we pulled together. And it was great. I had a good family. I was one of the fortunate ones to have a good family. We did all these things to help and serve each other. And we, as we did that, we were illustrating the beauty of what God has in His church family. And so aim to join in with a gospel-loving church family that will not just feed you microwave dinners but will feed you hearty meals of Jesus. and love you. I'll speak the truth to you. Say stuff you'd rather not hear. in love. And make sure and clean the dishes. Mow the lawn. Pick up your clothes. Serve others. The more you do, the more you're growing up into your destiny as an adopted son or daughter in the family of God. Third uh, application. We've said that uh, uh, our adoption in at the family of God is our destiny where he is our father. We've said, uh, secondly, the uh, second um, uh, application is that we do that with the family, with the church. And thirdly, since we're talking about adoption, let me encourage Christian families to consider legal adoption. In love, God predestined us for adoption as sons, right? That's what it says. So we, we should get this as Christians more than the rest of the world. And so why not from that consider doing the same to a child that doesn't have a mother or father? Cuz there are hundreds of children in DC's foster care system that are waiting to be adopted. They don't have moms and dads. This is not to mention even the tens and thousands, tens of thousands of children around the world that don't have mothers or fathers. And we can be salt and light to the world to go and adopt them. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Restoration Church, by the grace of God through you, we have abnormally and disproportionately illustrated this. And so God's grace is clear in you as it relates to adoption. I can think about Jeremy and Taylor Wisner. I think about the Thorntons. And the Thorntons, wherever they are, are good illustrators of this to us. There's Laura. Yeah. So you guys think about this. Think about this. When you see Jaden, cute as Jaden is, when you see him, when you look at Jaden, you think about that. Hague and Laura chose to adopt him. Because, not because he was handsome, though he is, right? Not because he was really well behaved, because he hadn't really done that. I'm sure he's probably not been easy, right? In the middle of the night sometimes, right, Laura? They chose him because they wanted to love him. And not just bring him into a family, but to love him in that family. So every time you see Jaden in the life of our church, think about your own adoption in Christ. And be the kind of people that can even go on and participate in more adoption. And if you're single, or married without kids, which is most of you, um, and you're not in a place to adopt, well, might I encourage you to consider the ministry of DC 127. That's a ministry that our church partners with that's trying to help. It's a church-based uh, system that's trying to help the foster care system in DC. There's all kinds of ways that you can serve in that. You can get more information by talking to me about DC 127 to help foster kids uh, you can talk to some of our members, I can put you in touch with them, or you can go to dc127.org and learn more as to how you can serve in those ways. And I want to stop here and give thanks to uh, David and Lena Hill, to Whitney King, to Travis and Megan Roberts, others of you. I know that there are others that are serving in DC 127. You are illustrating your love for your own adoption and what it looks like to mirror that and love people. I'm grateful for you. But we need to press on. And consider how we became adopted. How we became adopted. Now we've said that in love so far, all we've said so far is that God in love predestined us for adoption. Second point, that happened through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Predestined for adoption through Jesus Christ. Paul says we are chosen before the foundation of the world in love, in love, in agape. He predestined us for adoption to himself, through jesus christ so guys you miss this you miss this portion of the sermon you miss adoption entirely we cannot be adopted into the family of god by the love of god in any other way not by being nice not by being sincere not by doing good deeds not being really religious not by being baptized it is only through christ and faith in him that we can be adopted into the family of god If God does not send Jesus Christ, we have no hope. But as we have seen, by the pleasure of His will, He freely gives Jesus to the redeemed so that we would be adopted into His family. And we've talked a lot about this already in this series, this notion of being in Christ, through Christ. But guys, it is critical to understanding your identity as a Christian. So early Christians would have referred themselves more often as in Christ, not as Christians. Christians was a derogatory term in the early days. So in Christ, we've got to understand this. Being in Christ is the core of our identity as Christians. And here's what in Christ means. It means being in Christ means to have all the fullness of Christ in us. And all the fullness of us in him. And adoption could never happen without Jesus. Only Jesus, as the Son of God, is able to give us the privileges that come with being counted as the Son in His family. That's why Paul says that we are blessed in the Beloved, in Jesus. Remember, uh, at, at Jesus' baptism, remember He's baptized, He comes up out of the water and says, This is my what? Beloved Son. Right? That's, he's saying that of us that are in Christ. So the way adoption through Christ's works, can be seen in the very next verse. Take a look down there. Look at verse seven. We'll look at this next week. This is how adoption works in him. That is Jesus. We note the present tense active. We have redemption. How? What does it say? Through his, you say it out loud, blood Through his blood. Let's try that again. Just to wake us up for a moment through his blood, through his blood. There we go through his blood. This is Amazing teaching. I remember my systematic theology professor asking us in class, could Jesus have been poisoned to death for our sins? Huh. The answer to that, of course, is no. No. Our sin demanded a payment. Since life is in the blood, life is in the blood, Leviticus 17, life is in the blood, therefore that payment had to be the sinless body and blood of Christ. We had to have that if we were going to be adopted and raised to everlasting life. His sacrificial death on behalf of sinners that believe makes it possible for the Father to adopt us that believe. Or as Bruce Milne says it so well, if God's adopted child were to be put on sale in God's universe, you would have had to have put the price tag of Calvary on it. Christ poured out his blood on the cross and in the resurrection, we see that payment is made. And it is because of this that we will not only spend an eternity enjoying our Father, we will also spend an eternity enjoying our big brother, Jesus, who laid down his life in order to get us into his family and at the table of love. God is Father, Jesus as Lord and brother. This is our destiny to enjoy forever and ever and ever. And so let me address you, friend, that is not a Christian. You're here this morning. First off, so glad you're here. When Jesus said that no man come to the Father but through him, I understand that would be, that sounds as though it's a very arrogant or a very power, kind of power play kind of language. But friend, no. Jesus was not making a power play there. This is the loving plan of God to bring you near to him. To think that there are many ways to God, is to despise and reject the gracious and loving plan of Almighty God in Jesus. As a friend, it's not any more arrogant to say that Christ is the only way to salvation any more than it's arrogant to say that chemotherapy is the only way to heal cancer. God was not obligated to make any way. We all have rejected Him as King and Lord. All of us. Me included. We all deserve an everlasting hell. And yet God made a way. He, in love, predestined some for adoption by His grace. And He did that, guys. He did. Don't lose sight of it. He did that at the cost of His Son. And so this invitation is for you, friend. Choose Jesus. Choose Christ. Love Him. Treasure Him. Be changed by His grace. Follow Him all of your days. Repent and believe. And know what it is to be in the family of God. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about election. He said, I find that the more people I preach the gospel to, the more elect I find. So I preach the gospel to you, friend. So that you would repent and believe. And know life eternal. And as you do, tell a brother or sister. Tell a brother or sister. In love... God has predestined us for adoption according to His good pleasure, according to His free grace, through Christ, last point, to the praise of His glorious grace. That's verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace. See, for adoption uh, through Christ, for adoption through Christ, to the praise of His glorious grace. So if God is the greatest reality in all the universe, it would make God an idolater if He did all of this For the end of treasuring us. For the end of just blessing us, glorying in us. See that verse, right there, verse 6, that verse gives clarity behind every why question we could ask. Why do this, God? Why suffer the Son? Why adopt sinners and make them saints? So that we would treasure and know God as Father? Yes and amen. But even more, that doesn't finally answer the question. What does finally finally answer that question of why he would ultimately do all this is found in verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14, in just chapter 1 of this letter alone. To the praise of his glory. Why do all this? To the praise of his glorious grace. His glory, his grace. Because he is the only one that is worthy of all praise and affection and devotion. And this great end of praising the glorious grace of God does not compete with our joy because our joy emanates from this great endeavor of glorying in God. Praising his glorious grace. Listen, guys, I now have a destiny. I now have a name. I now have a family and I did nothing to deserve any of it. If anything, I did everything to despise it and reject it. And yet God in His grace chose me. And He chose you if you're in Christ. And He loved you. He brought you in. He gave you a family. He gave you a destiny. He gave you a home. Jesus says He's preparing a place for you. For His glory. All by His grace. All by His immense and glorious grace. And so we should live to give that praise. Our Father. Just stop and think about that, guys. Next time you pray, you can call God your Father. That's amazing. Our Father who in love predestined us for adoption according to His free grace and pleasurable will. Though we did nothing to deserve it, everything to despise it. Living for the praise of His glorious grace. That's why we do anything that we do. That's why anything that exists does what it does. It's why the sun shines. It's why the waves roar. It's why the sand is soft. It's why apples are tasty. It's why caramel is sweet. It's why uh, a wind on a hot day feels good. The praise of His glorious grace. The praise of His glorious grace is the end of it all because God is the greatest of all. And so no matter, friends, what may come to us, church family, no matter what it is, we know where we're going. We know our destiny. And love, He has predestined us for adoption as sons into the family of God. And we don't go alone. We know who we're going with. We're going with the family of God. And by the way, not only this church. This is why we pray for churches all over the world. We go with the family of God. And we do it for the praise of God's glorious grace. This is our destiny. This is who we are going with. And this is why. And so may we give ourselves to it day after day. Let's pray. Father, what grace it is that we can say that. Father, thank You that You first loved us. Thank You that You brought us into Your family. Thank You that You have a home for us, a destiny. Thank You that You've given us not only Jesus, but Jesus' people to go with us so we're not alone. And thank You that we have the freedom to live for the praise of Your glorious grace. Oh God, may we live this out gladly. And may those that do not believe come to be wed into that great story, that great destiny. And again, we pray it all for the praise of Your glorious grace. Amen.